19 uh, in a series entitled Summer in the Psalms. Last week, um, we were in Psalm 84. Home has my heart, and this morning, uh, we are in Psalm 119. And to be honest with you, I had a hard time titling this one, so I'm just going to say I don't have a title um, this morning. Uh, But we're in Psalm 19, and um, there are 14 verses, and I'm going to read all 14 verses uh, in their entirety. In fact, um, I'd ask you, if you would, just please stand if you're able, and as you hear the reading of God's Word this morning. um, Psalm 19. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous. Altogether, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And this is God's word, if you would join me in prayer. Father, thank you this morning that we, in this place, in this hour, are hearing from you. And thank you that you've given us your speech, that you are a God who talks to us and talks over us. And so this morning, as we just heard the many benefits of your word, I pray, God, that you would add a blessing, that you would speak to us as individuals and as a collective whole. Holy Spirit, change us. Do something in us that we cannot do on our own. In Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. So here I would like to read a summary or set up a summary of what we have just read in Psalm 19. As you um, saw, this is a psalm from David. Um, This comes from the lips of David. And as I read it, um, I want to remind you that psalms are songs. So this would have been put to some sort of music instrumentation. uh, And this would not have been a mundane Reading, not that that's what I just gave you. I hope that's not how you took it. Um, but there, there would have been, um, just as we were led in worship just moments ago, ago there would have been much emotion 
uh, oozing from these words. And those who would be in the company uh, of this song, um, it would not be lost on, on their uh, hearts and, and all, as well as their heads. And this song may have been sung in private at some point and then, and, and then sang again and again and again um, as we are commanded even to this day uh, to sing, s- sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so this song this morning has a place in the modern church, Big Branch Church, if we want to be more specific. But here's the summary. God gives us two books. God gives us two books to know him. One is the world, the creation. And in the first book that God gives us, we know God in his glory. Psalm 19, verse 1, we just read that. And then secondly, he gives us his word, the scriptures, by which we know his goodness and his grace. And we know his proximity or his nearness. So we could say it this way as we see this psalm just breaks down so neatly. We could say the signature of our maker is in the sky. Do you see that in our text this morning? The signature of our maker is in the sky. And there's ongoing speech in the creation that God is speaking to us of his existence. And then second, the work of our Redeemer, we know from his word. In and through his word, we know the work of our Redeemer. So first, we know our maker and his glory. We read Psalm 19, 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. This is two ways of saying the same thing. The heavens declare, announce that God is glorious. And I don't know the context. We don't know the context of how this psalm came to be. We know that it was David. Perhaps David was reflecting as he looked up and he was reflecting and recounting his days as a shepherd boy when he would lead sheep and the midnight sky and the quiet, he could hear the lambs, hear the sheep, but he could look up. And perhaps he was looking up. And the question, the question that is um, in our midst this morning is, what do you see when you look up? Church, what do you see? Friends, family, guests with us this morning, what do you see when you look up? Do you take the time to look up and to look out? And do you see the signature of an intelligent designer, the greatest artist by which all painters must tip their hat. What do you see? When I was a kid, I had a buddy who uh, would often invite me to go fishing, and uh, it was here in Lawrence County, and we would go to an old uh, farm pond, and we'd drive out a ways, and often... Uh, fishing for catfish, late night fishing. Anybody uh, a cat catfish, cat fisherman, uh, and or, or fisher lady? Uh, I, I don't know the proper uh, terminology there, but we would we would get out um, and we would late night uh, catfishing, and you'd get out there, and the only source of light that you had is what you brought with you, and I recall those late nights and just looking up at the, st- at the stars and just being like 
how small I am. And some of you know what I mean. And um, I've got a good friend, you all know him, Michael Black. He's, he's a fan uh, of, of uh, what, you, what can be seen with a telescope. Um, and he'll bring out the telescope, and, and we've seen things. And if you remember years ago when there was a total eclipse and we had to create these little um, contraptions we did with our kids so that we could actually see the eclipse because you cannot look into the sun, right? We had, I had buddies of mine when we were, when we were in class uh, in elementary school. Let's, let's see who can stare at the sun the longest, you know, and just tears running down our eyes. You can't do it. The power of the sun. The, the, uh, the phrase that David used, day to day, pours out speech. And this word is gushes. So day to day, that means every single day, continually, without end, every single day, God is gushing in his speech to you. He is speaking to you just in the very rise of the sun and its setting this evening. And what I love about this is no matter who you are, no matter where you are, and no matter when you are, whether you're, you live today or whether you live 200 years ago, we all see God's signature, our maker's signature in the skies and in the fabric of the creation and in the people and the, the, the person that you are and the complexities of our existence. And I, I see the son, David, he, he plays with words and he personifies the son. And he says, the son just runs out of his chamber like a bridegroom. And it's like the son, if you will really stop and pay attention, it's not that he's reluctantly performing his job. It's like, I don't have to work a day in my life. I just love what I get to do, casting light on all things. He's not doing so begrudgingly. Here we go again. No, in fact, the son has a better attitude than we often do, doesn't he? He comes up with gladness and he sets to rest at night, David says. And it's a beautiful picture that he's painting for us. He wakes, he works. And we were made for the same, folks. Some of you are miserable because you will not work a day in your life. But you were made to work. And if you will work then you can truly rest. And God has made it so. So I ask you this morning, are you stressed? Anyone stressed in the room? Could it be because you are far too big in your own eyes? Quit looking in the mirror at self and look towards the sky. Look towards the sky and be reminded how small you are. I was just reminded this past week, scrolling through that you know mind melting thing called social media, and I came across a uh, a video that I've not. It's not the last time I'll see it because it, it's made in different ways. But the message was, you know, don't worry about what other people think of you. They're not thinking about you that much anyway. <laughs> and 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 to be honest with you, sometimes we're so self absorbed that we can't think about others, right? But if we'll look to the sun and we will look to the stars and the moon that God so beautifully has hung for us, then we'll see how small we are. And that's a great thing. If God does not show us his glory, 
then he serves our glory, and that's the worst thing for us. God must be glorious because he is, and he shows and he showcases that day in and day out. So get outside. If you have kids, get outside. Take your kids outside. It is good for them. It is good for you. If you have grandkids, get outside with them. God gave us all this, and what are we doing stuck inside? We're missing out. We just, we taught last week, not last week, it was this week on Wednesday night, our teenagers, that science is no threat to God. God is not startled by science, nor is he threatened by it. In fact, science supports who God is. We learned that modern science exists only because of Christian people. The scientific method came about by God-fearing men and women. They realized the observations that they were making could only be of a God who crafted these things. Thank God for his glory in the open book of the world. Have you done so? When's the last time you said, God, thank you for this world? Thank you for your signature in the skies. My family, the Wright family, my wife and my kids, we're getting ready to head out uh, to the beach um, this week. And I'm, I'm looking forward to being right, reminded of how small I am and inviting my kids to say, look, look, look. Who tells the, the ocean where to stop as the tide comes in? Where did this come from? Isn't our God good? Isn't his creation lovely? How big is our maker? He deserves glory and honor and praise. But thank God for his glory in the open book of the world. But, but we gotta, we've got to know its limits, as does David. We've, we've got to realize that God reveals his glory. We we know because of the creation, and many times we will try to deny or we will try to run and hide from his existence. But we know him from our head. But if all we have is the creation, all we have is this globe, then we know God with our heads, and yet he's just distant out there somewhere, somehow, some way we might get to him. But then he gives us his word, and we need more, and he knows that we do, and so he meets us there by speaking to us. We just heard about what we could call general or natural revelation, and now we have specific revelation from God. He gets personal and speaks to us. And I love what the Belgic Confession says. It was written in the year 1561. And I think Alex Beelan will appreciate this as he was raised in the Dutch Reformed Church. As they adhere to this confession, it says this, We know God by two means. First, by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe, since that universe is before our eyes, like a beautiful book in which all creatures, great and small, are as letters to make us ponder the invisible things of God. God's eternal power and divinity, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.20, all these things are enough to convict humans and to leave them without excuse. 
Second, God makes himself known to us more clearly by his holy and divine word as much as we need in this life for God's glory and for our salvation. I couldn't say it better myself. And so we have the signature of our maker in the sky. Friends, he exists and you can't escape that reality. Stop your, your fretting. Stop your attempt like children to cover their ears and say, I can't hear you, I can't see you. Yes, you can and he is who you need. In fact, let's look to Romans 1 as was cited in that reading just now. Romans 1.20, he says, Paul does, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, and this is a commentary on our existence, claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We have wanted that which looks like us instead of the uncreated one. The creature has worshipped the created rather than the creator. And yet God will not leave us hanging. He will not leave us not knowing. And so we hear the work of our Redeemer in his word to us, and he switches gears. In verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And it's lost on our eyes as we read this, but in verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the word God there is very vague. The word is just E-L, L. It's just very nondescript. It's like God out there. And then he switches it up in verse 7. And the first hearers would not have lost what David has done here, but we do. He says, the law of the Lord. And this word, this name, this, this description of God, Lord, is Yahweh. This is the personal, promise-making, promise-keeping name of God. And David shifts from knowing God is glorious to knowing that God loves me, to knowing that God cares for me, that he provides for the intricacies of my life. He knows the anxieties within my head and my heart. And David shifts and he says, the law of the Lord is perfect. David stacks a seven-word salad of what God's word is and does. If you see, he says it's perfect, it's sure, it's certain, it's right, it's pure, it's clean, it's true. It's righteous altogether, comprehensively so. And David says that it's worth more than money can buy. And it's truly sweet and satisfying even to my senses as honey dripping from the comb. Wow, is what David says. So he looks up and then he looks down at God's word. 
He looks up and he sees God is so big, so massive, so unlike himself, so unlike you and I, and we must do the same. And then he looks down at God's word and he says, God's not untouchable, unreachable. In fact, he has spoken to us and he says, as as far as the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, he says that God's word, as we now have it, wrapped in in this this cover that I hold in my hands. God's word has restorative power. As I look around the room right now in this moment, there are people in this room, there is a man upon this stage who has brokenness and baggage in my life. Are, Are there broken people in this room? Are there people in need? Are there people who are hurting? Are there marriages that are devastated? Are there parents who want long to see their kids but are unfit in this current moment to raise their kids as they deserve? Yes, but the Word of God, God speaks to you and He can restore that brokenness. He can put it back together. I have a 65 Plymouth that's uh, sitting in the corner of a garage that's got about two inches of thick dust sitting on top of it. And my dad left it to me. And one of these days I want to see my... My, this, this car restored. I want to see it put together and made right. And I know that you guys, that pales in comparison to some of the brokenness that is present in this place, in these hearts, that you long for things to be made right and God's word, God speaking to you is where that power comes. He says the testimony of the Lord is sure. He says the word of God is certain. How uncertain are things of this day and of this hour that we are living in. And yet you have a word from God that is certain. With its certainty, it makes wise. You don't have to be a fool, folks. You don't have to be a fool. And we know that foolishness abounds. We know, that we, we know where to find it. All you have to do is turn on your television. All you have to do is read the news this morning. The foolishness. It's the sea that we're swimming in. And yet you don't have to be a fool because you have God's word to you and for you to navigate. Because of God's word to you, you can be a parent who parents differently than the the majority. Because you have God's word to you, you can be different and distinct in your workplace. You don't have to act like everyone else. Because you have a word from God, you are different. You are changed. You don't have to fall for, as Paul says, being taken captive by the worldly philosophies. There's nothing wrong with philosophy, but if you're not careful, you can be taken captive. They can ravage you and take you and manipulate you and get your mind on things that are, as we heard this morning, fear is a liar, so are the empty, hollow philosophies of this world it's the standard we read in verse 8 the commandment of the Lord is pure the precepts of the Lord are right our eyes are enlightened our eyes are opened you don't have to be blinded you don't have to not know how to lead your life as if God has left it hidden for you to find it's the standard God's word is by which we view everything. Do you have a high view 
of God's word. There's a reason right now that I haven't just waxed eloquent on my own opinions and given you something that sounds good and and packaged some kind of uh, presentation this morning. I am tethered to the word of God because, to be honest with you, I don't know any better. I need God to give me what to think. I need God to give me what to know. And I'm not alone. You and I are not smart enough to navigate a sin-cursed fallen world. We need God to speak to our heads so that we can know how to think. We need God to speak to our affections. We need God to give us himself again and again and again. And you can go nowhere but God's word to be certain that that's what you will get. You cannot trust necessarily all counselors. You you cannot trust what everyone tells you is good advice. How does it align with God's word? And I'll go this far to say, you don't have to have a Bible verse for everything. Okay? Know that that David says it's true and righteous altogether. How how, how, um, well versed are you in what God says altogether? Right? Sometimes we're like, well, you know, I can do this because God doesn't say anything about it. Are you kidding me? Okay, because God doesn't talk about uh, cell phones and uh, cars traveling down the road. Um, It's okay to steal one. Um, I'm pretty sure that he speaks to that, that you have a problem in your heart. And theft is against his will and plan for this world. But as long as I take something he doesn't talk about, we're good. Okay, we need to have a better, more comprehensive understanding of what God has said, and we can. And we need, for those of you, and even myself, I've got to pray, as the psalmist says in another psalm, behold, show me wondrous things in your word, because sometimes I don't feel like going to God's word. I'd rather go to the word of the world. And you and I need to ask, if you don't have a love relationship with God's word, if you do not have this desire that David has, ask for it. Ask him for it, he will give it. The word is pure and clean. It's non-corrosive, meaning it will not fade. It will not become irrelevant. It It is timeless. This word is what our forefathers are stand, were standing on, and we do too. And the blessings in the country that we live in right now are a result of people building and organizing their lives around God's Word. Amen. Not getting tripped up and caught up in the latest trend. God's Word is not at the mercy of what is cool and what is hip and what is new. We need more. Amen? We need more. I'm wearing hey dudes this morning, and I didn't think I ever would, okay? And I've been, every time I walk into a room, somebody says, hey, dude, because I'm wearing these shoes, okay? They are comfortable. I do like them. I don't have a problem with them. But I'm not a trend follower, and we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be trend followers. If anything, we should be trendsetters. As Christian people navigating this world with the relevance and the timeliness of God's word, speaking into things that are dead, that need resurrection, speaking into things that need to be made new. We have God's word. It's true and righteous 
altogether. You know, choosy moms choose Jeff, don't they? But we can't have that approach to God's Word. We can't just pick this verse and that verse. Notice that when David started, he said, the law of the Lord is perfect. I don't know about you, but I, I've got, you know, a good little arsenal of Scripture in my back pocket that I can pull out at any given time. John 3.16 I can pull out 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin was made sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I tend to gravitate towards those words from God that are about his grace and his mercy and his kindness to the neglect of the words of God where he says, listen, I want to tell you how to live. I want you to know that there is a better way to live. And these words come as a result of me speaking my grace and my mercy to you. But I also have instruction for you. I've not left you oblivious. My word to you is not get saved, get fire insurance, and then one day I'll see you when you get to the other side. God has given us his word so that we could know him now. Now. And we can know him together and we can make him known. If you met him when you trusted him and called upon his name to forgive you of your sins, but you have no longing to see him until maybe someday on the other side, you need to get in his book and we together need to bring you into his book. And I too am confessing this morning that I wish that his word occupied more of my heart and of my mind. And I have no excuse for that. We have more access to it now than we ever have in human history. God gives us a better way to live. Don't fear or despise his law word, his word of instruction. Because God speaks to us comprehensively. And we need a guide. Some of us men in the room, we would dare not stop and ask for directions. But our, women, our, our wives, our companions, just stop and ask. It's a whole lot easier now than it ever has been. You just punch it in the GPS and then you blame her when you, know, you make a wrong turn. That was supposed to be funny. I got a, a <laughs> laugh out of a couple of you. I just joked the other day, you know, let's print out MapQuest, right? You remember those days? Print out MapQuest, and it tells you step-by-step step how to get where you're going. Oh, we'll just roll out the scroll and see where the map is, you know? Um, but we need a guide in this world. And you, you and I need to know where we're blind, our blind spots, because you know something about blind spots, you're blinded to them. It goes without saying. God, help me realize obedience is satisfying. David says it. He says, Moreover, by your words, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Did you miss that? Did that just go right over your head? Notice he didn't say, For keeping them, there is great reward. He could have. David could have said, For keeping God's word for keeping his word there is great reward and there certainly is if you choose to live God's way then th life is going to go a little bit better for you I'd say a lot 
but he doesn't say that. He says, in keeping them, that's, that's the reward. Do you, do you realize that living in light of God's word is so rewarding? It is good. When my kids are using their toys unlike they were designed, Dad can say, that's not how that works. Let me show you how that really works. Better yet, there's a story, maybe some of you have heard it. There's a guy down in a, a ditch, and he's, he's got a jackhammer, and he's, he says, check this out, guys, and he picks it up, and there's a boulder underneath, and he, he's, he's tough. He lifts it, and he drops it, and he says, he lifts it, and he drops it, and he says, man, and they're all like, whoa, you know, this guy is tough. He doesn't know how to operate the machine. And then some, some other guy says, let me show you how it's done. And he turns it on, and he goes to work. How much better is life when you know how it works? God, it's not, it's not that this is just a roadmap, but it certainly is. It certainly is. And if your approach to it is just that as a map, then you're missing it. But if you don't realize that God shows us how the world should work and how our lives should work and how our homes should operate and what we should love and what we should hate and what we should run to and what we should run from and what, she, what we, she, we should avoid, and, it, and he discloses the hidden things in our hearts, he then says, who can discern his errors? So he delights in God's word. And I, I'm somewhat humbled by the fact that David had far less word from God than what you and I do. Do you get that? And yet his response to the word that he did have, he's overwhelmed and he, he realizes, he looks up and he sees God in all his glory and he sees him in the stars of the sky and in creation and the existence. And then he looks down at God's word, but then he looks inside. Then he looks inside at, at himself and he's left wanting. He realizes that there's something wrong on the inside. And what he sees as he looks up and what he sees as he looks down in God's word, he, he, he looks to the Lord and he asks God to do in his heart what he cannot do on his own. Notice he says, declare me innocent from hidden faults. He says, I've got sins that I don't even know about. Amen? Anyone in the room say, yes. I've got sins that I don't even know about. Keep me from these sins. I know that they're devastating my life. I've taken the bait. I've been deceived. I've settled for stupidity because that's what sin is. It's also death. The wages of sin is death. But even in a practical sense, where there is sin, there is not much life unless the work of the Redeemer enters the equation. And so he says, God, I've got sins that I don't even know about. But then he says, I've also got sin that I choose on purpose. Anyone in the room say, oh my, yes. <laughs> You're hesitant to say amen because no one wants to admit that we have sin in our lives that we choose premeditated knowing full well that this is disease that this is decay that this is not life this is darkness this is not light 
And so he looks inside and he realizes he needs forgiveness. He needs righteousness that he does not possess on his own. And David doesn't have all the information as we do. But look at what he says. If God would keep back his servant from presumptuous sins, he says, let them not have dominion over me. And then later we realize now that we have much more word from God than he does. Paul says exactly that. In Romans chapter 6, he says, For sin will have no dominion over you. Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the weight of the law, but you are under grace. You are under grace. So you have need of God's word, his signature, as far as the sky is concerned. And you need God's word from the pages of Scripture. But you also need something to be done within your heart. And he says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. David says, make it real. Anyone have that request upon your heart right now? God, make it real for me. Make your name known to me. Make your grace known to me. Your mercies new every morning to me. Because I know from the inside out, I need to be changed. And we are a people, Big Branch Church. Those within the sound of my voice, we need to be changed from the inside out. And you come to Christ and Christ alone to be changed so that your heart then affects the pattern of your speech. And you can say, as David says, in prayer, may, my, may, may the words of my mouth be fitting. May the way I talk point to the one to whom I belong. Don't just speak to me, Lord. Speak over me. Speak over me. And when you speak over me, me, it will be true. Because as we've already said and already seen, because the law of the Lord is perfect, it has an impact. It revives the soul. It restores. Because the word of God is right, it rejoices the heart. Because God's word is, it does. And you need to cease, and I need to cease, and we need to confess when we are looking to other word because there are many, many words that we're looking to instead of God's. Speak not just to me, but over me. Make it real. And he says, I have. Paul reminds us in Romans 3, 24. We are justified by his grace as a gift Notice David calls him my rock and my redeemer. Paul says we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption, the redeemer, Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? Father, as we...